Well, good morning, everybody. It was lovely to be with you again. I think it was a couple of years ago since I was last here, and your building has changed. It is different here, but it is glorious still. So, um, for those of you I've not met before, I've lived in the States for about 12 years this month, and we left England. When we left England, it was 57 degrees. Uh, 57 degrees, and we landed in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where we were for the first five years, and it was about 117 degrees on that day. Um, it was quite a shock to the system. It was like walking into an oven, really. That's what was happening. And as we got there, the pastor who was hosting us, um, he kind of welcomed us, settled us in, and was going to give us some advice. And I thought it was going to be like this deeply spiritual commission of some kind. And he said, drink water. Just drink water. Lots and lots of water. And if you get to the point where your mouth is dry, it's kind of too late. You're already dehydrated. So just drink water. Um, it didn't take me long to realize he meant what he said about that dehydration thing and stuff. But um, what, I, um, what I've realized, and sometimes it's been a picture for me that comes back to me time and time again when I'm journeying through life. The thing is, when you're dehydrated, you often don't know until it starts doing a little bit of damage. Um, when the headaches come and you've been annoyed at someone for no reason and you're not quite sure why. You said something you should have regretted, and you're wondering now whether you should have regretted that thing. That kind of moment. When actually what you needed all along was water. You were thirsty. And it's been a picture for me of often how our lives can be. Often in the Bible we see water as a symbol um, describing the spirit in our lives. And um, I don't know what headaches are happening in you personally in your God-given identity and purpose. I don't know what headaches are happening in your relationships, in your relationships at work with those you love, with those whom you should love, um, in the people around you. I don't know what headaches you're seeing in your community, in the cities, in the state, in the nation, in the world. But maybe things are thirsty. Maybe we are in desperate need of some living water that will satisfy that will drench our soul and our spirit, that will be like water in the desert, that will be sustenance in the wilderness. So what I want to look at today is we're going to look at some familiar verses to many of us from Isaiah chapter 61, but also we see it again in Luke chapter 4, where both um, books are talking to a people who are thirsty talking to a people who are in longing, in desperate need, people whose lives have been turned upside down, people who are on the edge of their stories, as it were, are in need. But I encourage you as we unpack these words together that you take the Bible personally, um, because God has some words of life for us as well. And I want to ask you, to, um, sometimes when, when we hear a sermon, it's feeding us answers. I have to tell you today, it's feeding you questions. Lots of questions, and I want to encourage you to ask yourself, um, where does the Spirit want to move? You know, we sang, didn't we, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience, experience the glory of your goodness. We said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And we meant it. We did mean it. And so I encourage you as we dive into these words to be asking ourselves whether some of the headaches we're encountering in the in our lives and our relationships, are God wanted that in the midst of that, God wants to point out to us that we're thirsty and that we need to invite His Spirit to move again. So, the title of our time today is called When the Spirit Moves. We 
It's great, isn't it? It took me ages to think of that title. I'm not going to lie. I'm really bad at titles. I was like, oh, help me, Lord. Um, it's called When the Spirit Moves, and I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 61, and it'll be up on the screen for you now. Wonderful. Thank you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them even though they've been deserted for generations. These words are of incredible hope. Great hope and great life. In Isaiah's case, now Isaiah um, is living at a time, uh, his prophetic ministry where he speaks God's heart and word to kings, spans four kings' lives. The first half of the book of Isaiah, the first section, shall we say, um, often talks about words of judgment. People are living under the consequences of choices they and their ancestors have made. Then we get to the latter part of Isaiah, and there are these words to a people in exile, living far from home, who've lost everything with a promise of, God, of God's restoration, God reminding them that he is not done. And these um, verses are part of that section. He lives in violent times, um, some of the ancient saints would call him, called Isaiah the, the fifth evangelist, because so much of the book points to the life and the times of Jesus. The New Testament quotes Isaiah more than any other Old Testament prophet. And then we see, don't we, in Luke chapter 4, in the um, ministry of Jesus. Jesus has come out of the wilderness. He's been baptized. Um, the Spirit has rested on him like a dove. He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. He comes out in the power of the Spirit, and then he goes to the synagogue, opens up the scroll, and says these words. And then says, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing, and gets in all kinds of trouble, and the fun begins. The fun, the fun begins. And again, like I said before, both groups of people who first hear this are people who've known loss and devastation under oppression. But God is speaking about what happens when the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on the move. So one of the things that we see when the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on the move then, in Isaiah's time, then in Jesus' time, but now is a rescuing love. A rescue in love. It says, The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted or bind up the brokenhearted, depending on, on the translation, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. What does this mean for then and for now? This word of being um, good news to the poor, it meant it referred to the destitute poor in every way, whether it was physical, whether it was um, emotional or spiritual or mental, that there was a whole sense of God bringing good news to every group of people, every situation. And we see it, don't we, in the life and the times of Jesus. This whole thing about him um, binding up broken hearts and him comforting the brokenhearted. These were people who had lost everything. Isaiah's people in exile. People who owned land could no longer hand it down from family to family to family. And the trauma they experienced as they lost everything. 
And God is not, and I told you so, God, in that moment. God is there to comfort, to heal, to be with those at the end of themselves. And again, to the people in Jesus' time who were living under Roman occupation, brokenhearted, never truly free, never truly safe, never truly at peace. There are words of comfort. When the Spirit moves, there is good news to the poor. God is practical. When the Spirit moves, there's comfort for broken hearts. Where are you thirsty? Where are your relationships defined by brokenheartedness? Where are your relationships in dire, desperate poverty? Because there the Spirit wants to move. There, even there, that person you've not spoken to for 10 years, could God redeem there? The desert of your relationships with your parents, could God flow like a river there? That boss at work who you don't want to kill, you just want them to suffer (laughs) at length, slowly, preferably publicly, (laughs) while saying you were right all the time. Can God (laughs) redeem there? There's a rescue in love where God does not leave things as they are, but takes them to where they could be. Release from darkness for the prisoners, a release referred most often to the opening of eyes and ears. So Jesus, when he proclaims these words, talks about giving sight to the blind, the images of someone in a dungeon seeing the light of day. Where in your life are you in a dungeon needing the light of day? Could the Spirit do that for you? Could could the Spirit do that for the parts of your life that need a touch of God to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? To tell them the time of God's favor has come. And with it, a day of God's anger against their enemies, against the enemy. It refers to a time um, where God's grace and his presence changed everything. Where every 50 years time of jubilee, the land was returned to their original owners. Debts were cancelled. Chains were broken and slaves were free. No one worked the land. It was a time where things were redeemed. God rescued his people. And in the midst of their alienation, God speaks these words of hope and life. It's no wonder that when the Spirit moves through the life and the ministry of Jesus, things start changing. I think it was Cornel West who said that justice is what love looks like in public. Love is more than this internal thing that feels good. It works to right wrongs. And so it's no wonder in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus stepping in for the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8, for Jesus restoring the dignity and the body and the confidence of the hemorrhaging woman in Matthew 9, for Jesus even extending grace and mercy to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, for Jesus choosing and investing in those 12 disciples, period, for Jesus um, having compassion and delivering, setting free the man who was known as Legion, such was the degree of his oppression in Mark chapter 5 for Jesus weeping over a city and then going in and laying down his life for it. In Luke chapter 19, love in public, embodied in Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. What could that look like today? What could that look like for our lives? 
I remember there used to be this song that we used to sing years ago in England, and one of the kind of refrains, or an ad that now became a line or something, was, would you walk into the room tonight and change everything? Jesus, would you walk in? Lord, you're welcome here. And it was like a desperate cry of what was happening on the inside, saying, God, unless you come, God, unless you come, the heart stay broken. Unless you come, the poor stay poor. Unless you come, we stay captive. Unless you come, we're in our personal prisons. Unless you come, our city has no hope. Unless you come, the nation stays the same. Unless you come, we remain divided instead of reconciled. Unless you come, we don't acknowledge privilege and its systemic power. Unless you come. And we need him to come. We need him to come. When the spirit moves, we see a rescuing love. And we see redeemed lives. Let me read to you. Um, from now I've lost my page. Oh, well. Never mind. Oh, yeah, there it is. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. You know what that refers to? Ashes were a symbol of mourning. People would be covered in ash. Such was the redemption. Such was the transformation of when the Spirit was at work. People were crowned with beauty instead. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. In other translations, it's the oil of gladness. And um, it wasn't like a, like a drip of oil. You were smeared and it. it was like moisturized all over you. You looked completely different. Such was the transformation. Festive praise instead of despair. There are other versions which talk about a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the despair was like this heavy cloak. And instead of being, being clothed with the despair that you dragged around with you, you were given something new. Which is typical of a God who makes all things new. Completely redeemed lives. The word redemption in the Bible refers to God buying back. And we know he bought that back through the blood of his son. Buying back. What was lost through foolishness, through violence, through helplessness and poverty. Covers everything. Every eventuality of that which has been robbed from us, of where we've been violated. Redeemed lives. Where does your life need redeeming? Might be the place where you're thirsty and where the headaches are. Could God work even there? Could God restore even there? What do you need the anointed one to do for you? You know, sometimes as Christians, we're great liars. And when I say we're great liars, it's like, things are terrible, but we're fine. Fine. I've not slept for 16 years now. I'm just a little bit tired. I hate my life. Oh, just struggling a little bit. Everything's a mess. Oh, no, it's... it's God is still on his throne. I know God's on his throne. I was asking how you were, though. And we cope, preferably alone, if we can, looking good. <laughs> Trying to have it all together as though God doesn't know we've always fallen apart. Trying to cope when, and trying to survive. And, not, and this is not a criticism of people who have survived. It's just that God didn't want, just want to stop at your survival. He also wants to make you whole. He also wants to redeem the years that the locusts have eaten from your life. So let him make you whole too. Let him take it on from here. 
and bring you to complete freedom so that your life doesn't just look like you've managed, but that you've been taken to a completely new place. That's the kind of transformation we see here. What do you need the anointed one to do for you? Is it years of shame that you need him to pull off? Is it the morning of, of missed opportunities, of mistakes? Are you still reliving the regrets in your mind? Do you know he wants to redeem you and give you a crown of beauty instead of the ashes you feel you deserve? Instead of the mourning you feel is your penance? Well, Jesus went one further and he went salvation for you. These people are so transformed that they are described differently. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. That's how they're described now. You mean that poor person? Remember the good news for the poor? That brokenhearted, that mourning person? They've become an oak. Oaks are strong. Oaks are substantial. They're powerful. They have deep roots that take years to grow. But if the roots are deep enough, even when lightning strikes... The tree won't fall. Oaks have massive influence. They redefine a landscape. They're symbols of strength. In fact, the word itself in the Hebrew refers to strength and power. Oaks um, give life. They help others things, wildlife, and that flourish under them. The other connotations of the word there refers to people who are pillars, who are leaders. You mean God can take our broken lives? God can take our broken stories and so turn them around that we can become a place of flourishing for other people? That God could so redeem our broken relationships and our broken stories that people would come to us and ask how to get free? Because that's what the redemption looks like there. You mean God could take the story of our city and our community and all its sin and all its dirt and all its shame and so turn things around that it becomes a living example of what a God can do? Because that's what we see when Jesus moves. That's the kind of um, transformation that he can bring. And when we reflect on our own stories, even through the tears... We may see elements of that, mightn't we? Of when God has brought us through. So these people who begin as these broken things become oaks of righteousness that the Lord has planted for his own glory. You see, they have a purpose as well as a new identity. They are oaks of righteousness, which refers to justice and their own leadership and ethics and things like that. They have a new place and a new contribution to make. They're not just there, these oaks, to hide away, to be a pretty hidden forest somewhere. But they are too, they've been planted to display, to show something to all of those around what new life can do. They have a purpose. It's said of them that they will rebuild ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They'll revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. So this rescuing love redeems lives, renews and rebuilds cities when the Spirit moves. So some of my questions for you is, I don't know where your journey has been and what it's been like. But did you know that what God is doing is that he, what he wants to do is to restore you such that you're like an oak that can display his glory. 
And so my next question for us is, where has God already planted you? In your family, in your friendship group, in your workplace. And how does he want to display his glory there? How could the Spirit move through you? You see, when, what we see consistently in the Bible is when the Spirit moves through his people, he leads them to the places that need it. They don't just become a swimming pool where they get to dive in for themselves. It's like a river that flows, bringing life in the desert, like we see in Ezekiel um, 47. It means that when the Spirit moves, his people begin to address the injustices and the problems of the day. It's an inevitable thing because you want to bring life where there's death. But it's also on a personal level as well that our stories of God's redemption and rescue can display God's glory for others as well. Did you know that this thirst that God quenches is for you but goes through you to others? I travel a lot for work, and um, when, I, um, when I travel and I, I'm on planes, I often ask the Lord that I don't get to talk to people. I'm like, Lord, um, no, amen, <laughs> if I can. And because I want to watch, I see, this is my moment of self-indulgence. Lord, this is where I want to watch a movie, a chick flick with a bad ending. That's what the plane is for, for me. So I, I'm like, Lord, you got my back on this. I'm ignoring you. Amen. And, and um, so one day I'm flying from, I think, Charlotte or something, flying home. And I, you know, I checked in with the Heavenly Father about how I didn't want him to do anything at all. Just let me watch this movie, which was, anyway. And, um, and I'm not completely insensitive. So I have, you know, I have the social skills. So someone sits next to me, we talk, but you know how to shut a conversation down. Yeah. So, um, talk, we smile, we have a little chat about the accent, we move on, move on. And that we kind of, we have this kind of warm sigh, and I'm into the book. It's very effective, <laughs> very effective. Anywho, um, on this day, this lady who was next to me came in and, you know, did the eye contact thing, chatted, told her she has to go to London because I believe everybody should, all that kind of stuff. And then she says, just so you know, when I'm on planes, I often get panic attacks. I thought, oh, okay. And then, um, and you know, I, clearly, she, they, I mean, there are two of us next to each other. It's a plane, it's confined space. And so she's wanting to let you know things which are going off. And as someone who's experienced panic attacks, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be like in any way accusatory or weird about that um, with her. And then she says, but when I have panic attacks on planes, I vomit. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> about the vomit thing. I'm not a fan. I do feel a moment of physical identification if people vomit near me. It has a kind of multiplying effect. Um, and so, and she says, but it's okay, I've got my medicine. And then she says, oh wait, I don't. She didn't have her medicine with her. I don't know why I'm whispering. She didn't have her medicine with her. And, um, and then so she says, I think I'll be okay, but she's clearly increasingly anxious. We both know that we have been warned this is going to be a turbulent flight. Yay, turbulence. Um, so I, at this point, I want to tell you, friends of God, I want to tell you, friends, that I, out of the compassion of my heart, I wanted to pray with her. 
I want to tell you it's because God wants to use us to meet people's needs. I tell you that the reason why I offered to pray with her is because I did not want her to be thrown up on. So I said to her, I said, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I believe prayer changes things. <laughs> Can we pray about this situation? <laughs> You know, there are sensitive ways to talk to people about the Lord. I've violated all of those. I'm just like, I just need you not to throw up on me today. Because it's a plane, friends. It's not going to go very far. Except on me. There was only one place where the vomit was going to go. So we prayed and... Um, we prayed and, she, and, she, and obviously she's feeling more and more anxious at that point. And she says, oh, wait. I think God's doing something. I'm like, do you think? I'm praying. I'm like, don't stop me. Don't stop me now. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed until she was at a complete place of peace. Had this wonderful conversation for like two hours on this plane. It might have been turbulent. We don't know because God had done stuff. So it was fine. We were fine. And at the end, at the end of the two hours, she says, I feel I should pay you or something. I should pay you for what's happened at the... the the panicking thing, the non-vomiting thing, all the conversations we've had. And while I was tempted, friends, I didn't go there. Uh, but it reminded me this. It got to, I got to a point where I thought, you know, well, when we went our separate ways, a verse from the Bible came into my mind where in, where, um, in John 4, Jesus says to his disciples, you say four months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. All around you, the fields are ready. All around you. And what I say to us, friends, is God wants to rescue you and I, rescue us from the places of thirst and desperation, rescue our relationships, rescue our cities, and he wants to redeem. He does. He wants to buy back the years that the locusts have eaten. He comes to do that. He won that from the cross. But when he has done these great things, we are a testimony. And we're a testimony to our city, and we're a testimony at work, and we're a testimony in our community that we would be a planting of the Lord wherever he's planted us in the life we already have, displaying his glory. Saying, look, I can't heal you, but we can pray. Hey, I don't know um, your journey, and I can't pretend that I know exactly how you feel, but this is what God has done for me. I don't know all the things that you need, but I know a God who rebuilds lives. I know a God who can restore the places of your heart that have been devastated in your family for generations. I, can I know a God who can restore cities, and because of that, I am committed to mine. Will we allow God to move? And the fascinating thing that we see as I come to close now is that it starts with the Spirit. This was not an act of just hard work, all this story. Like, oh, we were really passionate about God, and then we got really excited, and God did stuff. So the Spirit of the Lord was working. The Spirit moved and rescued. The Spirit moved and redeemed. The Spirit moved and displayed a testimony. The Spirit moved, and cities were rebuilt. So the question you and I need to ask ourselves is, are we allowing and inviting the Spirit to move in each of us? In Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek text, it actually is, be filled and go on being filled with the Spirit. And so I want to encourage you as you go through your week, as you go into the relationships that are challenging, as you look at your city, even as you, oh, please, as we all watch the news, to ask the Spirit of God to come again. And to invite the Spirit of God to meet with us. 
for us to be aware of what the Spirit is doing, for us to invite the Spirit to move amongst our most challenging as well as our most delightful relationships and just see what he does. It's amazing when you pray, coincidences happen. And then to invite the Spirit to, to, that we would partake of what God is doing and saying, look, Lord, if you are making all things new, I want to be in on the fun. I want to be involved and to ask how we can do that practically in our lives. Friends, where are you thirsty? Where are there headaches? Where do we need to be hydrated again for all the life that God has given us? I encourage you, I encourage you to invite the Spirit. Yesterday, we'll, do, we'll pray that in a moment. But tomorrow, 3 o'clock in the morning Tuesday, Thursday, Friday night, each and every day. And let's see the rescuing love, the redeeming life, and the renewal of our cities. Let's stand together. Let's stand. So what I want us to do, we're just going to have a moment to pray as we, before we go our separate ways. And um, I'm going to invite us to think of the areas of our lives, the areas of our lives where we, could re- where we, where we know that this may apply, where we're like, God, unless you come, <laughs> unless you come. And it may be something very personal to you, maybe something in your own sense of identity and purpose, which is fragmented. It may be a particular relationship. It may be something that you're really passionate about God doing in the cities and the nation in these days. It could be all of them. And if, if you, as, as and if you feel comfortable, I'm going to invite you to put your arms out. It's a physical expression of an inner reality. That's what we're doing. And together, friends, we'll invite God again. Say, in response to your word, God, we ask that the spirit of the sovereign Lord would be upon us. Would be upon our relationships. We'll, I'll, I'll give us a, just a moment of quiet for us to kind of um, just settle, and then I'll pray, okay? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promise of your spirit. We thank you when the spirit moves, you change things. Lord, I pray for every brother and sister here who is in mourning, for whom grief has been a long and agonizing journey. Whether it's the loss of loved ones, whether it's the loss of relationship, loss of career, whatever that bereavement is, you see it as valid. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and touch that. For those of us who are thirsty, we are experiencing the headaches in our sense of identity and purpose. Would you come again? Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to come into our relationships. Lord, for those of us who are estranged from people and it's kind of gotten under our skin and into our hearts. Lord, where it's possible, where it's healthy, where it's viable, show us the journey of reconciliation. Lord, for those of us who know that those relationships refer to people who have since passed on, I pray you'd bring us to a place of peace. Lord, I pray for those of us who look at our lives and cry out for rescue. God, would you come? For those who cry out for redemption, would you come? Would you buy back what's been lost by our own sin and shame? By, by someone else's, frankly? By our own helplessness? Would you restore to us the years that the locusts have eaten? And God, would you take these hands of ours 
these open arms of ours? And would you show us what it means where we are planted to be part of a rebuilding of our cities? Would you show us what it means with our hands and feet to restore the places long devastated? Would you show us what it means to be part of what you're doing and to be available? We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Friends, if you need any prayer, there'll be people on either side who'll be ready to pray with you. And I'd encourage you if you need it to take it. Other than that, it's been great to see you again. God bless. Have a wonderful week.